When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk today uh, with Pete Smith. And Pete uh, will joins us to talk about the Browns and the Know Your Foe episode for this week. And it just seems like we had a Know Your Foe episode uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, with Jake Burns. And uh, that went real well. But uh, Pete, we've had on before. He's also uh, very good. And we're going to talk a little bit about the first Browns game. So first, Pete, how are you doing? I'm good. It's uh, as we just talked before before we started recording. It's just an unusual season from just in general in terms of the NFL, and and obviously particularly with these two teams. 
Upside down division. Uh, I'm not really surprised about where the Steelers are at this point in the season. No. I kind of expected a little bit of decline from them. Uh, Cincinnati, I did expect to, to take a step forward. And I, I think we still don't know who the Bengals are right now. No. They've beaten a lot of bad teams. They haven't done as well versus good teams except for the big win in Baltimore. And then the Browns and Ravens, I certainly expected to compete for the, for the, uh, for the lead. I, I guess you probably did too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you, you came out with the schedule and you're sitting here going, you know, these two games are going to not only decide the division, but potentially, I don't know about home field, but certainly in that realm where we're sitting here looking at like positioning in terms of the postseason rather than, you know, obviously the Ravens are sort of in the catbird seat for the division right now, but and the Browns are on on the, on the edges of playoff viability. So, you know, the, the Ravens aren't nearly as comfortable as they would like to be. And the Browns are obviously nowhere near where they want to be. Yeah, that's, that's well put. I mean, obviously the Ravens uh, in a lot of ways just had the Steelers on and uh, guessed on, and he, you know, it's very similar to the Steelers at 11 and 0 last year. They were a team with a lot of problems despite a gaudy record. The Ravens have overcome a lot of their problems with some heroic finishes uh, I wouldn't say it's catching up to them at this point. I would say that that you know you can expect some fluctuation in luck as as the season goes along, and and missing the two point conversion in the last game against Pittsburgh certainly falls into that category. Yeah, I, I mean, look, the, the the Ravens have have benefited from a number of situations. I mean, the Detroit Lions game stands out most notably, and even though they they, they came fall, fell short with the Steelers game, like. For as bad as that game was, where you let the Steelers hang around for three and a half quarters, and they finally, mm-hmm. you know, took advantage. You know, the the Ravens, the game was there for them. Um, it wasn't as if the the Steelers made some great play. You know, I, I know people want to give T.J. Watt an, an unearthly amount of credit for the play he made. The Ravens just missed a play that was there. It's it really that simple, and it's not like it's not some commentary on Lamar Jackson is, you know, this is the downfall of Lamar Jackson or, you know, this is, this is where the Ravens are going. They missed a play by like a half an inch. And mm-hmm. if they didn't, you know, the, the conversation is entirely different. Right. I, I, you know, I agree. It was one of those things. Mathematically, I agree with the decision. I think from, from an overtime perspective, it made sense. It just didn't work out. And uh, it was good to see them scheme a play that would work. And then for Lamar to take the extra step forward, for um, him not to be able to adjust to what Watt was doing was also kind of unfortunate on that play. So anyway, sad to see. Let's talk Browns. Uh, first of all, how has the injury report changed since the first meeting? Obviously, the Browns have had the benefit of the bye week here. Well, you know, that's the thing. Like you're coming to the bye week and, and, and having it as late in the year as, as, as they did, it felt like it was going to be a, a, a huge respite. And then they come back Monday and, and, you know, things seem pretty good. Uh, And then Tuesday, you know, we find out that David Njoku is on the COVID list and, you know, he is vaccinated, but using history as a guide, the Browns had this happen earlier in the year where they had Nick Chubb and Demetric Felton end up on the COVID list on a Tuesday. And you need that back-to-back 24-hour negative test. Mm -hmm. It's not impossible but it's damn near uh, in terms of being able to, I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. So you have a player who has historically done very well against the Ravens uh, come out. You're losing Harrison Bryant from the last game with a high ankle uh, sprain where he was the wow. second leading receiver on the team. And all of a sudden, like you feel pretty good from a defensive standpoint, but offensively you're starting to ask yourself, 
where are the points going to come uh, come from? Anthony Schwartz is still dealing with a concussion from one of the one. What I would say is the worst hit of the NFL season this year, mm-hmm. uh, with what was in a, a car accident with neither side slowing down in, in New England, and, and one of the hits that's like ultimately going to be legislated out of the game. You know, whenever they basically do away with kickoff, um, he's still dealing with that. So you know, the the, the players they were hoping to get back. Or, or continue to take a step forward are not the, the one sort of saving grace for them is Kareem Hunt is healthier than he was in the first game. And he's another player who has done really, really well uh, in this matchup, particularly going back to last year in that game, you know, the shootout oh, yeah. Kareem Hunt was a huge, huge factor. So that's the one thing that's sort of going in their favor um, in addition to just sort of overall getting a little healthier. Now, you mentioned the two tight ends out uh, with Brian and Njoku, and, and that was something in the first game. Boy, it was really prevalent in the in the offense was the amount of 12 and 13 personnel we saw. And in particular, the, the, the Browns lined up heavy all the time. On all of Chubb's runs were all 12 and 13, by the way, all of the four 13s and four 12s. Uh, that he ran and the Ravens actually the Browns really were very varied in how they did that. They lined him up in line, they lined him up split, they lined him up in the backfield. They did a little bit of everything to, to try and get it sprung and nothing really worked. Uh, you know, obviously Chubb ran what two yards of carry eight for 16, eight for 17, whatever it was in that first game. Uh, what do you expect them to do different in order to get Nick Chubb started in this game? Well, I, I think part of it is the bye week and, you know, in that game, I think, you know, the Ravens were the hammer and the Browns were on the nail in, in terms of that sort of matchup where, you know, White Teller did not play particularly well. The Ravens did a really good. And this is this is a game where the Ravens best defensive lineman didn't play. Yeah. Glaze Campbell, you know, yeah. Campbell, 35 years old, who's playing the best football of his life in his 30s. You know, basically a mm-hmm. Hall of Fame resume in his 30s compared to what was a pretty I don't want to say bad, but average, you know, decade of his 20s, which is remarkable he's been unbelievable so to not have him and then play as well as they did with Wyatt Teller not playing particularly well Jedrick Wills struggled uh he's dealing with an ankle has been all year that's my problem and and Blake Hans you know god bless him he can't play dead and Mm -hmm. that's you know that's that's a really difficult situation so you know will the Browns come out they they have not first they have not acknowledged who's going to be the right tackle which may be simply gamesmanship um they may use more jumbo is particularly with the lack of tight ends. Uh, in previous weeks, they've used uh, their backup guard, Michael Dunn, as a tight end. Maybe they get a little more creative with trying to do that. One, because Blake Hans isn't really a tackle, he's just sort of there. That that can sort of protect him a little bit if they want to put him on the, you know, if they want to put a guy like uh, a jumbo tight end on the right and maybe insulate him a little bit. Uh, that may be a an option, but given the fact that the Browns are going to be down tight ends, you know, part of them may have to simply embrace it and spread them out a little bit and hope with that between the Humphrey injury and some of those things that they at least can force them to be a little more honest. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Even from the first game is that while they, when they were running against the base defense and, and, you know, this 12 and 13 forces the Ravens into base. And, and when, and you know, not like they wouldn't like to play base, they, they probably prefer it in some ways, but when they did that, they, uh, uh, it, it's, it's more difficult obviously to run against that, but the, the Browns had a lot of success and it's really the only offensive split that really looked good for the Browns was how they passed against the base defense, 9.9 yards per throw or per, you know, attempt, uh, 
exceptional there. I, 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 you know, watched the Browns boards and I saw some, some complaints about the Browns giving up on the run too early. And I, w- I would say just the opposite. I'd say they didn't give up on it early enough. They should have been passing the whole time as soon as they saw the Ravens in base. I agree. And, and, you know, people are, then go and watch this Patriots Buffalo Bills game and they go, mm-hmm. well, you, you should just slam your head in the wall enough and eventually it will work. And, and you can make that case. The Patriots scored 14 points. It's not as if they <laughs> ran the Bills, you know, off the field. And I, and I get the weather element, but, you know, the Browns lost 16 to 10. I mean, 14 still wasn't going to be enough. And and maybe there's some some idea behind that, but it's not who Kevin Stefanski is as a coach. And, and you know, he's, he's sort of got this Bruce Lee mindset in terms of coaching, which I actually really appreciate. Um, in, in, in this NFL, you have guys like Kyle Shanahan, who's a great coach because he's so good at scheming a player open and getting guys touches. So like Debo Samuel or, or George Kittle or whoever it is, he's mm-hmm. very good at a team wants to take those guys away and he will get them the ball somehow. Um, and, and that, that's sort of a very common idea is you're going to find a way, you know, come hell or high water to get your, your, your dudes, the ball. Um, and, and that can backfire because teams can take that away. Kevin Stefanski takes the opposite approach where he's going to, in, in this case, he's going to try to set himself up in a situation where he uses 12 and 13 personnel to try to get an advantage with the running game. But if the Ravens in this case are going to give him or are going to say, you have to pass the ball to beat us, he's going to say, okay, we're going to pass the ball to beat you. This is where my advantage is. He's going to find that. Uh, you know, the, the path of least resistance and, you know, the criticism of the Browns offense is when that works, and particularly last year, it looked like, a, you know, a symphony orchestra sort of working and that you had these guys like Richard Higgins and guys that, you know, nobody outside of this division even knows who they are. Mm-hmm. And then when it doesn't work, as, as has been the case this year or even in certain situations last year, you, you come out and you go, well, why, are, why the hell are the Browns throwing the ball this many times to guys who are not named Odell Beckham, as was as was the thing, and that's you know that's part of the that disconnect where you know Odell Beckham is a guy, and this is not a criticism of him, but he's just sort of one of these guys who goes, well, if I'm this guy, I need this many targets. I'm going to eventually figure it out and make plays. And the Browns just don't do that. That is a point where people can criticize it, but that's just sort of their philosophy. So that's sort of how they approach it. Yeah, I, I think it's the right philosophy to have. Harbaugh's actually been addressing that this week in a little mini Beckham situation the Ravens have. And I hope it I hope it doesn't become anything. But there's been speculation that uh, Rashad Bateman got a new agent this week and his targets have been down. And, you know, is he unhappy about the number of targets already as a you know rookie? <laughs> that would be really bad. You know, he's also had some some issues with drops personally with, you know, this year. So it's not like he's earned a inordinate amount of trust he's been he's been good but but it's not like he's earned an inordinate amount of trust and i I really don't want to have that happen here but harbaugh is short-circuited to a degree he said this week and you know very correctly is you chase targets in the nfl you're doing the wrong thing you know you 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 need to take what the defense gives you and i'm paraphrasing now but effectively you know that means going to whoever's not covered sometimes your best receivers are covered and they don't get targeted Sure. I think what you end up with is is you're taking you're sort of a, a bigger scope look at this and you're saying, how many yards am I going to get out of 15 targets? You know, taking names off the sheet. Right. Am I, can I get 150 yards out of 15 targets or do I get 100 by sort of now putting it all on one guy? And I think if you 
you sort of, you know, you can sort of look at this across the league if you just sort of look at box scores and you look at these things and you're looking at guys get like 16 targets and end up with eight grabs for like, you know, let's say 100 yards and a touchdown. 60 yards, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and you look at that and you go, well, he had a great game. That's not an efficient yeah, way to play football. <laughs> so, you know, and the Browns look at this and they go, well, they spread it around. So, like, you know, they'll have a game where David Njoku gets targeted five times. And, and, and granted, I would like him to see the ball more than he has. But then you sort of add it up and you're like, well, these 15 targets produced 150 yards and you may not love the guys who are getting the ball in those situations, but overall you're moving the ball better. And, you know, to me, I I really like Kevin Stefanski as a coach going forward, but John Harbaugh um, is a fantastic coach in sort of understanding the big picture. And I don't know how much of that is because he, he comes at it from being a special teams coach background but just having the 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 ability to sort of separate you know guys and sort of overall trends and embracing those has made it so they get more out of you know what at times has been average uh players and particularly this year when you you're a team that has you know 20 players on injured reserve or you know maybe 50 at this point for them it it just feels that way yeah and they're still finding ways to 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 produce and, and create ways to win that is sort of embracing that mentality as opposed to trying to say, well, because player X is hurt, now I'm going to force a million targets. In this case, you mentioned Bateman. It just doesn't work that way. And, and defensive teams are too smart for that. You have to, well, I wouldn't say have to, because clearly there are teams who don't, but it just, it's prudent for you to go, they're not covering this guy very well. There's an opportunity. Let's just take it and run with it. And if it mm-hmm. really succeeds, you end up winning the game doing that, or, or at least putting yourself in the best chance to win. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, we're clearly cut from the same cloth because uh, yards per target is the most important receiving stat. Huge. Uh, even, yeah, yeah. It's the first thing I look at. And, you know, it, 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 anyway, we don't we don't have to talk about it anymore. I, let's go back to that first game in, in terms of Baker uh, in particular, because the Ravens, one of the things they did in this game is they gave Baker a lot of ample time and space opportunities. Um, and they didn't do much in the way of deception. When they did deceive, they were very good at it. But 20 out of 40 ample time and space opportunities. Now, just to give you a little background, that's a three-second pocket with the ability to step into the throat, which is a very um, uh, extreme definition of having a lot of time to throw, meaning I mean, a lot of people use a two-and-a-half-second standard. They don't have a step-into-the-throat category, but that's the way I count it. And I, I, you know, those, those 20 plays, he completed eight of 18, uh, he had two sacks on those plays, but it was worse because the results were really barbell. He had three big plays and only five middle-class plays were like seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 yards. What was it about Baker that was, that was kind of not connecting uh, in that first game in terms of the, the, you know, the long time in the pocket and not able to connect? I, I looked at the first game and I say it was a tale of two halves. Baker Mayfield was really good in the first half um, in terms of, getting the ball to where it needed to be and putting guys in position to succeed. Um, the Donovan Peoples-Jones drop and that, that first drive was, is heartbreaking. Ultimately, they have to settle for a field goal that they miss. You know, mm-hmm. In that game, getting seven points on that first drive clearly would have been enormous and, and sort of changed the dynamic of the game. Um, so in the first half, things were going pretty well. Obviously, you had that ghastly fumble on what would have what appeared to be a very uh, good and potentially scoring screenplay. But just in terms of where the ball was going, in terms of getting it to where it needed to be and putting guys in position to succeed, it was good. Ultimately, the problem that has really sort of shown up and, and is 
with his injuries and everything has sort of get gotten lost is his supporting cast is not helping him. Um, they, you know, and, and this goes back to last year and the chiefs game in the playoffs, which was a nightmare in terms of the chiefs basically said, you can't beat us in man coverage if we play man. And they were right. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they were just right. They couldn't get open. And Jarvis Landry is historically a zone beater. And now he's a, he's a, a guy who doesn't beat man coverage with a knee injury that is clearly really bad, which hurting him. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones is a very talented young kid who has a bright future. He's just not there yet. And then you have the Odell Beckham situation, which now sort of took a guy who was hoping to be – we were hoping would be like a nice wide receiver three, wide receiver four – and then, you know, he becomes the de facto number one receiver and all of a sudden Marlon Humphrey is in his face. And it's just not a, a, a good situation for a player like that. He had the opportunity. He couldn't ultimately produce on it. He had some other plays like that. And then in the second half, one, I think the Ravens did a few things to sort of change that. But I, uh, it also came down to the fact that I think in part because of the lack of success in the first half, that there was a little bit more pressing. There was a little bit more trying to sort of force the issue and you know I, I you can call it a hero play you can call it sort of trying to get plays back that they didn't make the first time in, in that sort mm-hmm. of essence and you get into that situation i think both quarterbacks in this game in that first game ran into this where they're basically like you know trying to score basically 20 points in one throw and you ran into that thing and and ultimately it, you know it, it took a bad situation and made it worse so ultimately i think baker mayfield was extremely was more than good enough to win in the first half and the second half didn't do himself many favors. And the Ravens basically said, look, we, we, we can let him have, have time. Our pass will eventually get there. Your weapons are not good enough and we're going to make you prove it. And, and, and that ultimately happened. That, uh, that, that does certainly jibe with a lot of the numbers. Certainly the Ravens got the Browns into a lot of third and long situations where they could get their rush dime on the field. Three outside linebackers, uh, not Calais Campbell, but it was Justin Matabike in that game, along with six defensive backs. And, and they're a lot better in pass defense when they get the inside linebackers oh, off sure. the field. Or get, 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 you, know, you guys may have the same issue <laughs> in Cleveland. Um, but anyway, it's uh, – uh, they had the Cleveland ended up getting only 12 yards on those 16 rush dime snaps, only 0.8 yards per play on those. Uh, it really more than any other game. And I, I chart packages by play, obviously, but um, they played the base and they played this rush dime, this very extreme, you know, pass prevention defense. Uh, they didn't play much in between 91% of the snaps were one of those two. So it's very, uh, mm-hmm. it's very odd. Uh, do you see, more focus on trying to get into third and manageable in this game after what we've seen in other weeks recently where the Ravens have had a lot of trouble with third and manageable, particularly against the Steelers. Well, I I think the only way the Browns can win, not just this game, but basically any game is staying at a third and long. They just aren't good enough in terms of their, their dynamic skill positions where they can just go out and get third and 12. They just don't have those guys. They don't have, you know, you, you just look at the division. The Browns have the worst receivers in the AFC North by far. It's not even close to some of the other teams. So there's Steelers and the Bengals who have an, an extraordinary amount of talent, but even the Ravens who have players like a Marquise Brown, who I think is underrated, a player like Rashad Bateman, who's got some nice talent. And then obviously Mark Andrews is one of the best tight ends in football. You know, for all the things you can criticize about what the Ravens are doing, they have guys that can at least make those plays. Right now, the Browns don't. And I think what ultimately is going to happen, not that it matters for this game, but 
you know, come the off season, you're going to see basically a huge amount of turnover in that position and reinvestment um, to get there. So, yes, third manageable is imperative for the Browns to be successful. They have to be able be able to put themselves in a situation where they aren't predictable. They they can't put themselves in a situation where it is third down and going to pass. Uh, it because for that exact reason, um, not only do the Ravens excel in those. Dime package situations, uh, Adafi Owe was really uh, dangerous. Their other uh, defensive end, you know, had, had his Bowser. Yep. Yeah, he was great. And then not only that, but now they feel absolutely zero fear in blitzing, particularly off the right side, because they just don't fear anything beating them down the field. If they get the ball out of Mayfield's hands faster, great. They're going to tackle it short. And if they don't, they get a sack, which is ultimately where this goes. All right. Uh, anything more to say about the offense in general? I mean, I think we covered a lot of a lot of material here. I kind of want to move on to the defense at this point. Uh, give you a chance? No? Okay. Yeah, no, no, uh, no, no. What I would, the only, one thing I would say, keep an eye on, which I, I, you know, I've been basically harping on and hoping for all season, and hopefully more healthy, in particular with the issues they have, is seeing Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb on the field at the same time, and seeing Kareem Hunt split out. If you go back to the game last year, that was the pivotal point that changed the game. Uh, the, the the Ravens' corners absolutely shut down the receivers in the first part of the game, that shootout on Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. They start splitting out Kareem Hunt. He takes advantage of linebackers. Ultimately, they start having to put corners on him, which frees up everything else in the offense, and suddenly the receivers are able to produce, and the whole thing then becomes that back-and-forth shootout, and it becomes you know who's going to have the ball last. That's the one thing I would keep an eye on. Keeping that threat of having Chubb in the backfield, being able to do things, whether, you know, God forbid, a jet sweep with a guy like Kareem Hunt, throwing him the ball in space, forcing the opponent to try to tackle him. I think that is a, 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 an area where they have upside to sort of change the game in, in the second matchup that they didn't have in the first one. Okay. I mean, I think there's other upsides too, particularly Ravens health at cornerback looks terrible right now. So uh, yes, uh, Marlon Humphrey being out is, is very severe, but, but more than that, I mean, it looks like Tavon Young, you know, he only played seven snaps this last week and he might be their best cornerback right now. So it's a, uh, it's a shame if, uh, if they, if they can't have any of their regular guys. Uh, moving over to the defensive side, obviously Miles Garrett and Clowney, I thought both played very well in that first game. Uh, the Ravens have enormous tackle problems that got worse with the loss of Patrick McCary. Let me think about if Patrick McCary was playing. I think he was right against the Browns in the first game at right tackle. Yes. Okay. So he won't be this week. He gave TJ Watt a little bit of a fight in the first half, a uh, very short arm guy, but the, but the, uh, the replacement, uh, is a very long arm guy who has played terribly. And that, that's Tyree Phillips. Uh, what do you see them, the Browns doing differently, if anything, to rush the passer? Well, I mean, I, I don't see them changing too much. And, and, and if you go to the first game, their plan worked. I mean, there were plays that mm-hmm. didn't pay off, um, but they are a team that wants to live and cover three and quarters. They want, and like every other team, the best thing you can do against Lamar Jackson is take away the receivers and have everybody else, at least in a position where they can see where Lamar Jackson is, and if he is going to break the pocket, then they can at least try to play assignments on football and corral him. When that doesn't happen, he's sort of left to run around, you know, in part because of the injuries and trying to do too much. He is now either throwing the ball into bad situations and you basically have to wait for him to do it, or he's sacking himself. And 
as somebody who watches Miles Garrett and how phenomenal he is, I wanted to strangle somebody watching how many times Lamar Jackson would just sort of run into TJ Watt in that game mm-hmm. and, and that type of thing. So like that's sort of the, the, the game plan is because the Ravens are, are so destroyed in terms of injuries and Lamar Jackson is having to do, you know, he, he has to do a, a, a ton normally, but now he has to do even more and it's not, it's not leading to productive results and it's leading to plays that are really, uh, you know, sort of gambles and, and the Browns got the four interceptions, but the plays they didn't weren't good. Like the touchdown that, you know, they, they, they throw to Mark Andrews where he's wide open in the end zone. It was a coverage breakdown, but they got Lamar Jackson to go back like 20 yards and just sling it in the middle of the field. That's, you know, everybody goes, well, Lamar Jackson's a phenomenal player. You know, John Harbaugh is going to look, this is not a good football play. It worked, but it's <laughs> not a good football play. So, to me, I think that's where we want to go. Yeah, you, you, that I, I would say he threw it to an open spot on the field. That part of it was good. Okay, the retreating twenty yards. No, you, <laughs> you, you you can't do that play after play. And they, you know, there was some of that against the Steelers as well. It didn't work out. But uh, uh, you know, it, it, they they have put a ton on Lamar. You're absolutely right. I, I'm scared of it in terms of his risk of getting injured the remainder of this year. And and basically. I think the Ravens need to get back to at least a split offense between the pistol and the sidecar because pistol specifically makes Lamar an outside threat where he then is running to the sideline on a lot of his design run plays or on the mesh point plays where he has the the read option. Um, If that's the case, he takes a lot less injury risk with him being the threat in the middle of the field, which can be more profitable because defenses run themselves out of position all the time against the Ravens. Um, I, I still I don't like it because it I think it exposes him to some of the bigger hits and the offensive line is terrible. The running backs are not making anybody fear the run game at all, which means every eye is on Lamar play after play, and that it's it's got to be creating more injury risk. Well, the, the question I have for you in this situation is because of the way the injuries happened and because you're a mesh offense, mm-hmm. how much did this team lose? By the fact that they basically had to bring in guys off the street and say we're running this, and you you know you're you're you're, a time, you're an offense where you're asking the running the quarterback to carry out these mesh fakes while looking at the defense, and they don't have those reps with Devontae Freeman. They, they you know does right. the, are, are they sort of limited in how much they can really do that just by virtue of the circumstances of, of, of the season, or are we to a point in the season and in week fourteen where they've been around long enough and and they can do more of it? I mean, I think they're probably getting to those two. Murray and Freeman are probably getting to a point where they're more comfortable with the mesh. But the problem is they're not fooling anybody. I mean, they're they're the fourth and 13th worst in rush yards over expectation. So at the point of the handoff, they're averaging, you know, three quarters of a yard approximately between them less than what the NFL expectation would be for those exact same circumstances. That's not going to cut it. And, And any defense that's seeing that is also saying, you know what? We're we're not worried about that. We're we're gonna go. We're gonna watch Lamar very carefully. We're gonna mirror him, and our linebackers aren't taking extra read steps because we we think play action is coming. Uh, you know, it's it's just it's not it's not a formula for success. And and the two young guys, uh, most notably uh, Tyson Williams. He was by far the Ravens' best back in the preseason. It looked like he would enter the season as a number one back with them getting these geriatric guys, Le'Veon Bell and Latavius Murray. I mean, you know, those guys were finished. 
Okay, mm-hmm. but very, very soon. Freeman has been better the last few weeks, but those guys were finished. And and the thing that really bothered me about it is there's got to be something about the mesh point that Williams is not finishing figuring out because he's been a healthy, sorry, yeah, a healthy scratch on a team that hardly has room for a healthy scratch right now at this point in the season with all the injuries they have. Yeah, I, I, that's the that's that's the thing is I think what, what gets lost in this type of offense is you know teams practice that you know weeks and months just yeah. getting that right. Yeah. And then you lose your top your top backs, and you're just you know you're trying to figure it out. It's a, it's a difficult offense. You know, I know a lot of people are critical of of the offensive coordinator there and what, what they're doing, but that that that's such an important part that it, it does limit what they're able to do. But you know, between that and and what the Browns have at that linebacker linebacker position, a player like JOK, who not only is he really fast, but he's really smart and he's very good at reading his keys. And there are situations where. He's being, uh, you know, a lot of these guys who are super fast play too fast and they don't actually read it. And yep. JOK's done a really nice job of, you know, yeah, you have a guy, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Queen drives me nuts. But yeah, you know, you have a guy, JOK, who's been really patient and willing to wait, even wait till Lamar Jackson gets a couple steps and he's fast enough and he's he, he takes good enough angles where he can then go track it down, which you know the raven you know there, there there isn't a really good answer for that for the ravens right now and and what that ha- is and unless the ravens can sort of you know get their offensive line to the second level and sort or or tight end or whoever and sort of get him before he can get going that's a really difficult situation because i think lamar you know in the same way that you know the browns can't simulate lamar jackson's athleticism in practice I don't think the Ravens can can simulate JOK's athleticism. And I think it genuinely surprised Lamar Jackson just how quick he was. And and look, part of this I think Lamar Jackson is not 100%. He may be 95%, but he's not 100% in terms of just his speed and explosiveness. It's just mm-hmm. the nature of the game. And I, and I do think it was a little surprising for him to suddenly be running down the field and he has this, you know, rookie right next to him running with him. JOK definitely drafted as a Jackson beater, and I think he's lived up to the to the point. And you guys, jealous of you that that you got a guy uh, who's producing in his first year. Uh, Queen looks like he, he might be coming around, but uh, but uh, JOK definitely a a, a positive uh, positive player right away. To give me a, give me a little bit of backdrop on the on the secondary for the Browns, and we'll, we'll need to wrap this up. Well, so, you know, as I mentioned, they, they want to live in quarters. They want to play cover three. And then typically on third down, they'll mix in cover one and, and, mm-hmm. and they'll blitz, especially if it's third and long to try to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands fast. Any number of teams do that. That's sort of the in vogue approach mm-hmm. uh, with that. What the Browns did and I think has been really good. Ronnie Harrison was somebody I thought was going to be great this year. Um, he was pretty damn good last year. And then he was just surrounded with more talent. And he's been another disaster. However, both against the Lions and then against the Ravens, they've made him essentially a quasi linebacker, and he's it, it plays to his strengths way better. And I think that will continue because it's just the way this matchup works. And he's been really good at that sort of outside backer spot where he's able to come down with some athleticism and and, and play the ball. John Johnson, I think, is is you know it's been a bumpy ride, but he's a, a really good safety, and he's able to have that patience and read the middle of the field. They have Grant Delpit who's coming along, and again. If they can play coverage the way they have, they can allow themselves to be patient and allow Lamar Jackson to make a mistake, which obviously happened. Each safety had an interception mm-hmm. in that first matchup. Um, you know, you have you know Denzel Ward who's playing at a, a phenomenal level. He's finally playing 
you know, fourth overall pick corner. You have a rookie in Greg Newsom who's really impressive in terms of I don't know if there's any one thing he does at a special level, but he does everything pretty well. And that becomes a really big challenge for particularly tackling. Um, there were some situations over the course of that game and then in general where, you know, they, they get an underneath route in, in a situation where last year the Browns would have given it up on, on third, let's say third and 12. They completed a seven yard pass and the receiver easily would have gotten the five yards. And then some. And Greg Newsom's a good enough player where he can at least short circuit that before it starts. And that's been a big challenge for some of these teams. And now they're having to throw even further down the field to ensure they get those plays, which, again, with all the the issues that Lamar Jackson is facing right now, that's one more challenge that, that, that makes it more difficult for him to be successful. I absolutely love Greg Newsom coming out of the draft. Uh, he, he's one of the players that looked the, one of the guys who, who could adapt to the NFL. And I think it'd be fair to say, you know, other rookie cornerbacks often have trouble. Uh, they, can, they can often have, have difficulty. But Newsom, at the very least, you can say he's adjusted well to the NFL. His skill set seems to work in that way at this level. It seemed to translate. So, Well, uh, the, thing I would, the thing I would point out is, is I, I think Greg Newsom's been great. I would point out that the rookie class this year at corner in general is playing at a historic level. Like yeah. you don't get corner classes this yeah. good, whether you're looking at Sertan in, in Denver, some of these other corners that have stepped right in are playing a really high level. Like Greg Newsom, you could go, oh, he's a draft steal. But then you look at these other corners who have been picked and they're all playing at a pretty, pretty mm-hmm. high level. Yeah. All right. I, how about uh, picking one player on each side of the ball you think matches up really well against the Ravens uh, that, that the Ravens need to be careful about or that you think can do some damage? Well, I, I think Kareem Hunt is the X factor in this game on offense. He, he Again, he's been a guy who's who's given them problems. His ability to move all over the formation is is troubling for them. They can't just sort of – they can't just sit in base. They can't just do what they want to do. They now have to account for a guy who can cause them problems. And defensively, Jadevian Clowney um, – uh, you know, Jadevian Clowney is not as good as Miles Garrett. However, Jadevian Clowney is better at de- defending an offense like the Ravens than Jadevian Clowney. He feathers an extremely high level in terms of dealing with like reads and options where you have to at least make sure where the ball is. Miles yep. Garrett's more of a bull in a china shop type guy where he's going to come downhill and he's been, you know, uh, victimized as a result because he wants to come downhill. He doesn't really read well in that regard. But Jadevian Clowney. Um, it, 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 you know, he's been everything the Browns have hoped for and more, but particularly in that game, he put on sort of a master class of how to play that edge position against an offense like the Ravens run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely, uh, definitely a great edge setter. And the Ravens appreciated Suggs all the years for the, being the combination guy. Clowney's, you know, may have had a Hall of Fame career uh, derailed by injury and he, he could still come back and be you know Calais Campbell in his 30s be very effective I could see that from his play style uh, that he could last a long time it, it's really I think comes down to just how durable is he going to be to stay on the field but great round defender uh, Pete thanks so much for coming on first of all I had you on before last year we really loved it great that we could we could connect again this year uh, tell people where they can find your work uh, yeah, I mean, I always love coming on and, and, and talking with you. It's always a good time. Uh, you can find me uh, at on Twitter at underscore Pete Smith underscore. You can find uh, my work and, and the work we do at, at, at Browns Digest at uh, si.com slash NFL slash Browns uh, and, and, you know, all the, all the stuff that goes on there. So, yeah, you can you can find us at anything uh, Sports Illustrated in the Browns team site. 
All right, outstanding. Folks out there, make sure you get your divisional follows taken care of. The Browns have a very analytic fan base and a, a you know group of analysts that's really good to follow. Pete's definitely in that category, so make sure you take care of him on Twitter. Uh, other folks out there, if you're looking to do a 25 years historical episode with me, hit me up Twitter. Uh, narrow idea that we can go deep on in about 20 to 25 minutes. I'll get back to you right away on it, and uh, DMs are open, so uh, please hit me up on that. Pete, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.